There was my uh, <sighs> wander yes. around long-winded uh, observations on what's going on in the entirety of the housing market. And it was unbalanced and probably biased from my own perspective, but less biased than a lot of people's perspectives. There. How's that? Everybody's biased. Wow. That was, yes. Okay. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting second hour of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. We're back. We said our names. How many times did we say our names? Uh, did we forget? Twice. twice? Yes. Starring What's Jake the and... last Jeff McClure? See, we can say our names. That's three. Just demonstrating how talented we are. Maybe one trick ponies, but uh, when we're combined, we at least get one and a half tricks out of it. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Sounds cool. Um, uh, each I, of us has half. Each of us has half a brain. Right, and together it makes three quarters. And it's, it's <laughs> diminishing returns. There's some laws in here somewhere. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So our combined experience. So you've been in and around the market since the 1970s, right? So yes. that's uh, 50 plus years. Yes. And I've been since the 90s, so 30 plus years. And combined, we have at least 10 years of experience between the two of us, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, the math on there is a little weird, but it has to do with memory loss and things it like is that. Somewhere, it is somewhere between the two of us. So yes, said that. somewhere. So somewhere. We, neither one of us have the experience. It's between us. Yes, between us, and it gets lost in transmission. So right. we work on that, though. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about, but I'm going to hand it off to you first because you had a little subject about China. It's a little thing. Which is yeah. yeah. Nothing. Chinese economy is hurting, and it, their definition of hurting and our definition of hurting are quite a lot different. But the equivalent first estimate of, of GDP growth in China came out at 0.8% for the quarter. For second quarter, which, okay, that sounds not bad at all. That's like three plus percent growth per year. That would be all right in another country. But in order to maintain stability in China, because they are big um, and they have a population of migrant workers larger than the population of the United States. Yeah, they're migrant. They move around, like they move around the country. 360 like, million people. Yeah. And they move around the country. They don't have permanent jobs. They don't have permanent homes. And if the economy does not grow fast enough to accommodate the migrant workers, you have 350 million pissed off people, which is not conducive to stability. And it gets a little rough at that point. And the Chinese are a little concerned. I've always been very concerned about that. During the last recession, for example, and for that matter, the one before, the Chinese government stepped in and hired a lot of people who otherwise would have been out of work and had them build huge cities that nobody lives in. And I guess they could hire them again and have them tear down those cities. But the Chinese consumer is not consuming. And everything we read indicates that uh, people here, there, and yonder are moving, people in corporations are moving their production out of China. Uh, we are sending less Western investment into China, and which makes sense because they have become an unreliable person, an unreliable entity on the other end of the, the supply chain. And the end result is that China is beginning to feel some pretty significant economic 
pain. This is no small thing. They are the second largest economy in the world. Um, we've said in the past we didn't think they would ever catch up with the United States uh, for a number of reasons. As far as the size of the economy is concerned, I still believe that's true. Um, but there's a there's something, if you wanted to worry about something, that's something to worry about. Because when economic times get bad, governments that are dictatorial, autocratic-type governments tend to expand their armed forces tremendously. And expanding their armed forces means they need to do something with those armed forces. And that could be a real problem. Um, China is, to a very large extent, a wild card right now. They've been making some overtures of not being quite so aggressive, probably because their economy is not in good shape. And they are, uh, I, I think that Chairman Xi did not understand the degree to which Americans would stop investing in China, that they would stop putting new factories in China and begin to back out. He thought we were locked into China and they had us over a barrel. Well, no nation has the rest of the world over a barrel. I'll promise you that. The United States included. Uh, we we try to cut off uh, economic ties with places and they find very interesting ways of getting around them. And in some cases, wind up making more money than they did before. We have a global economy, whether we like it or not. Transportation and communication are very efficient, whether we like it or not. Therefore, um, it's economically, it's really, really hard to go it alone, uh, maybe impossible at this point in history. But this is one of those things to, to bear in mind. What happens next? Uh, don't know, but it's a little scary uh, for us. If you want to worry about something, that's something worth worrying about. The other thing is, and this is just a minor thing in passing, surveys in the European Euro European Union and in, in Europe in general have indicated that people's people believe they are becoming poorer. They're not becoming more wealthy. And it's and true. It's true in Eastern Europe and it's true in, in Russia. Absolutely true. They are becoming poorer, not richer. And and the, well, the British also believe that. They yeah, believe the British that believe it. It's not true on the statistics. They believe it, though. And that's, that's and, more and, important sometimes than the truth of what they believe. And the French and Germans do, too. One of the reasons the Germans are having difficulty, and they're basically leading the recession in many ways, uh, is they were focused on commerce with Russia and China, which is getting a little awkward right now. And they're being forced to pull back... Uh, and it is hurting them economically. Uh, the French are not far behind on that. The reason I bring all this up is when we look at the world, we're seeing the same thing we have seen many times before. There are three major experiments going on in the world on macroeconomics. China is running one. European is running, Europeans are running another one. And we're running the third uh, experiment. In other words, these systems are in competition with each other. And our very chaotic system, which really bugs everybody who's not chaotic, bugs the people at the head of the European Union. It bugs the Chinese to no end. They really look at our system and say, it's just crazy. It's, it's just insane. Everybody's doing pretty much what they want to do. And that's terrible. We are being more successful at whatever it is we're trying to do than literally any other major economy in the world. So don't gripe. Yeah. Well, I'm sure people are going to gripe. Anyway. People, we can't stop griping. I mean, that's part of the reason why we know that we're in a healthy nation is that we're griping at each other so much. Uh, we don't have yeah. external threats or we wouldn't be doing this. If you have external threats to a country, internal griping stops. Everybody bands together. And that's, you know, dictators have done this for forever. Point at an external threat and people stop protesting your rule. In the United States, when we were attacked on 9-11... 
It was amazing. The Republicans and the Democrats had a honeymoon period that lasted like four years where they just agreed about everything. And then we got back to our old animosity, and now we're, we're much further along on the animosity than we were before. And that's proof that we're healthy because there isn't a major external threat. Even though we talk about China, we're looking at Russia. Russia has just proven that its threat to us is nuclear, period. That's it. Their big, scary army is not as big and scary as everybody thought it was, including them. Uh, they are less of a threat. That causes us to bicker more internally, which nobody likes. But if you think about what we're arguing about, we're arguing about um, whether to spend large amounts of money on green energy or black energy. That's, that's, that is our, one of our big government arguments right now. Of, uh, is it oil or is it green energy stuff that we're going to spend our money on? The rest of the world is, is saying we don't have money to spend. <laughs> so it's a good argument to be having and we're very very serious about it and we talk about this is the worst that we've seen in our political but when you look at the rest of the world we look pretty good uh yeah even our government looks pretty good uh you know the netherlands just have government right now it does not is zero government in in uh, dutch land at the moment uh there they're, they're, uh, it's a little strange. They've done this before, as of other countries in the European Union. They just decide to go without government for a few years. I think a lot of Americans would like that until they experienced it, and then they wouldn't like it. Yeah. We it's, do have another question, though, that you forwarded. To we do. Want, want to deal with that? From Marty. Um, Marty's question on uh, it by email, its subject is about real estate. Um, when will the higher interest rates crash the market? Building at higher interest can only get so far. Big builders can weather longer than the rest of the market. Okay, good questions and observations. The reason why we haven't seen a complete cratering of the real estate market is because we still don't have enough houses. There's not enough houses. We, we built too many houses leading up to the global financial crisis, the Great Recession, um, that we built so many because people were buying more than one house a piece. They thought, I'll buy three houses and I'll just sell the other two and that'll pay for my first one. And that was, that's, that's actually a quote from people at the time. That's not me doing hyperbole. People have forgotten this. So we had too many houses. The, the, the real estate market cratered. It, people were underwater in their houses and there was no rain going on. Uh, they owed more on their mortgage than their houses were worth. So it knocked people out of construction. Home builders went out of business in droves. Uh, mortgage companies went out of business and were purchased by other mortgage companies. This, is, this was a massive event, and it took a long time for us to get back to building. We're still not building at the rate that we were prior to the global financial crisis. There's still not, there's not enough houses and there's a pent up demand. Now, prior to the global financial crisis, a good interest rate on a mortgage when people were buying three houses, not one, was about six and a half percent. That is the interest rate right now. The average interest rate that people get on 30 year mortgages if they have relatively good credit right now is right about six and a half percent. So if you think about that, it, you say, well, why is everybody complaining then? It's, it's, it looks like it's just like it was when we were in boom time. So what's the deal? Well, the deal is there's significantly fewer houses. So the price of the house 
is also much higher. That's the big difference. People are not flooding to sell their house into this higher real estate market price because their interest rates are low. I've talked with people over the last week and um, three out of the four people that I talk to are interested in buying a house, but they're waiting. They want to buy a house. Their house is too small for them. They wish to upgrade, but the prices are so high on the upgrade. Well, they could sell their house for much more than they expected, but their current interest rate is somewhere between two and 4%, and they're going to move to a six and a half percent. So they're, even if they take all the equity from their existing house and dump it into the new house, it's going to be significantly more expensive than just staying where they are. Last hour, I talked about destroying demand, and that's what these interest rates have done. It's made it so difficult to buy a house for these people that they're just waiting. There is a limit to that. Three of the four people I talked to about that this week are saving toward a larger down payment. And it's really weird, and it's purely anecdotal. It's a very small group of people that I've talked to over the last several months, But they all seem to be on the same timeline to buy a house in two and a half to three years. And that's fascinating because they wanted to buy a house this year, but they're waiting and they're saving more to have a larger down payment so that their payment will come down, which means that we should see a pretty good boost to the real estate market two and a half years out. Prices will have come down by then as well. And this is interesting. Uh, It's not across the entire country this massively. The Case-Shiller Index says that house prices are down slightly year over year. But there are places where they are down drastically. The Austin market is down double digits. It's down 16% as far as new listing value per square foot year over year. That's a big deal. Now, the fact that the year before that, it was up more than 20% means that we're not back down to reasonable yet. There's still more room to go. And if we look at the leading economic indicators, and this is weird, one of the major indicators is housing starts. And it's one of the few positives in the index. We are building houses right now. So your question of when is this going to crash the market? In some places, it already has. Uh, Building at higher interest can only go so far. Well, this is another thing where the big companies that are doing building, big builders can weather this longer than the rest of the market. They're gathering cash. They're using their profits. They're cutting back. They've laid people off on the service end, and they're hiring on the construction end. They've lowered their their, their internal expenses so that they have more cash to put together without debt to buy properties and move forward. So that's why the big builders are doing that. The big difference between big builders and little builders isn't just size. It's also that a lot of times the little builders have investors that are involved in lots of things. They're buying real estate, but they're also buying this is and that's, and they've got a you know, this kind of business going over here and a car dealership over there. That's the sort of people that invest in the small builders. Big builders have money solely dedicated to real estate and they allocate their internal income toward cash at a time when interest rates are higher so that they can put larger down payments and lower debt. Uh, and that that is the answer. If you're a small builder, and that doesn't mean really small, if you're doing... Um, less than 300 houses a year, the thing that I would tell you right now is to take what profits you have had 
and put them in cash for larger down payments so you have smaller debt. That's hard to do, but that's how you get through this. The demand for houses is still there. If you build a house and put it on the market, people are still buying them relatively quickly, far faster than they were pre-pandemic. We're just not growing at the same rate, and there are people that are waiting to buy. You've talked about this over the years, and so have I, but we have been watching this for a long time. Not all that long ago, maybe 15, 20 years ago, houses were built by bringing a bunch of two-by-fours to a site and people nailing them into place. With, with hammers. With hammers. Yes. And we talked about, what, 20 years ago, we talked about the fact that the nail gun had changed things quite a lot and reduced the number of people it took to build a house and made the building the house quicker and less expensive. I There have been a lot more down, innovations, too. <laughs> yeah, down in Gerald. Uh, which is, we we uh, we live in Salado, Texas, and south of us is a place called Gerald that has been growing at a phenomenal rate of speed and largely uncontrolled. One of the fastest growing communities in the country. I, uh, I'm on the Planning and Zoning Commission for Salado, and we often say the one thing we don't want to see is Gerald happen here. So I went down there and actually looked at how they're constructing houses. And what happens is a big truck comes in with pre-constructed walls, pre-constructed walls and other joists and everything else that go up in the top of the house. And they have a crane that lifts them into place and they very quickly nail them together. Very quickly. It is, they have become very efficient at building houses. They're no longer customized. Matter of fact, if you go down there, Gerald has been very nice to them by saying you can basically build two houses six feet apart, three feet on either side of the line. And so you have this massive number of cracker boxes going up down there. They go up very quickly. Wait, they go are, up are very they, inexpensively. Are they made of ticky-tacky? Do they all look just the same? Mm, there's another place that, that yeah, they do. they all made out of ticky-tacky <laughs> and they all look just the same. Uh, Pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Yeah. Uh, but which for uh, many, many years, I thought buy a, was saying buy a bag of ice and dump it in the parking lot. I, I literally thought that's what it was. And I had no idea what made that song so popular. That didn't make any sense to me. It is amazing to me how quickly and relatively inexpensively a house can be erected. If you don't mind the fact that when you walk around on the second floor, the entire house shakes a little bit. Uh, and, and they are building these houses to minimum specs. They have become incredibly, they're basically factory built pieces. And, and there's more, more innovation just get put together, more innovation coming. Um, right now it's very, uh, it's more about ego than about cost. But in Georgetown, Texas, just south of Gerald, there's a community being built of 3D printed houses. It's about the same expense as a normal house at this point, but the lower prices are coming. These are prototypes. They're figuring this stuff out. The number of innovations that we've seen at job sites, you know, in the early 2000s, in the aughts, back in aught three, uh, we were talking about the nail gun changing things. Well, now battery technology, which was developed for laptops, smartphones, and cars, is moving over to the rest of the world. There are battery packs that you can carry in one hand that will let you run miter saw, table saw, and recharge other things for eight hours during the day without having to recharge it. So the absolute mobility that comes with having cordless circular saws with batteries in them and 
uh, nail guns that aren't attached to things that you can just put your nails in and move around it. Those innovations are amazing. Pre-building the joists for the roofs for the roofs in an air-conditioned warehouse makes a lot of sense. At some point, those pre-building of joists and walls is done by a robot. And that's not very far away. Those robots already exist. They're just a matter of buying them. Uh, and then you don't have overtime wages that you have to give the robots. So at the, the price to build a house is going to continue to change. Why did it change here? And then we, this is some demographic stuff to throw in here. Prior to global financial crisis, I keep going back to this because there was a massive shift in the construction world during this time period. We had a very large illegal immigrant population that was working in construction. A large percentage of the workforce in construction was from Mexico. That is not where the illegal immigrant population of the United States is from today. There's a very small percentage of them from Mexico. Um, they were oriented on jobs, doing jobs in the United States, sending money back home. And the, the age of that population was mid-40s, early 50s. Come forward 15 years, and yes, it's been 15 years since the global financial crisis. They are no longer mid-40s. You can do the math there, and they don't want to come back and work in the hot sun. This is part, of, and they've got good jobs back home. They left. We had a massive migration of the illegal population out of the country during the global financial crisis. People were spending less on all the things that were extra, and that's where most of the illegals were working. We talked about it at the time that that's them leaving and not coming back is going to cause the price of a house to go up, period. It's going to cause the price for food at a restaurant to go up. It's going to cost the price for a room at a hotel to go up because the people in the kitchens back then and the people that were doing the cleaning back then were by far majority illegal. And we all looked at it and said, this is a horrible problem. And our answer to that is it's a problem. We don't, we're, our laws are not correct. These are, there are broken laws here in that we are all happy to accept the lower price while we go home and complain about the illegal population. So the ethics of this is skewed already. Come forward to today, and our illegal population is mostly made up of refugees from failed nations in South America. They didn't come here to build houses. They came here to not die. So they've got to figure out what they're going to do, and they don't have an existing set of skills that are very marketable here yet, which is causing us to get more productive with fewer people in building houses. This is how we get more productive. We get a challenge where we don't have enough people to do it, so how do we do it? People get innovative when profit is on the line. And the price of a house today says that people will still build even with higher interest rates because the house prices are so high. So this is going to be something that continues. We're going to see house prices not come down anything like what they did in the global financial crisis. I'm making a prediction here. You can come back and bug me with it when I'm wrong about it. The downward pressure on houses right now is all interest rate based, and we're not in a truly negative interest rate environment. It's not slowing uh, and from a baseline, which means that people will be able to afford houses even at current interest rates. They just have to save more to get their down payments, which is all stuff we want. It's a healthier economy. 
when the people that are buying things that they are going to own, own more of it immediately. They're more wrapped up in it. One of the problems in the global financial crisis is people didn't have to really pay for their house. It was zero down. And if they sold it tomorrow, they were going to make a profit. So people were just handing their keys back in rather than paying the mortgage. And now you just have this empty house. Well, if they've already paid 30% of the price of that house, they're a lot less likely to hand the keys in. They're going to stick to that house. So all as bad as this is, especially if you're in the building world right now and you're looking around and you're saying people are slowing down on the purchases. If you're in the real estate business of selling real estate, you have absolutely noticed that there are fewer sales happening. It's hard, but long-term, this is going to be really good for the real estate market. When things, when houses get made fast enough to keep up with demand, it's probably just going to meet demand. So we're probably not going to see big drops in housing prices. We just don't have enough of them to go around. There are waiting lists of people, people waiting to buy, gathering money, slowly, with great effort. That's not something they're going to give up on. They will be buying houses. It's just we're in this part where we have to take a moment, build more houses, and the big builders are really getting into it right now. The big builders of, of residential houses are finding money wherever they can because house prices are still up, and as fast as they're building, it's not building fast enough. There you go. There was my... Uh, <sighs> wander yes. around long-winded uh, observations on what's going on in the entirety of the housing market. And it was unbalanced and probably biased from my own perspective, but less biased than a lot of people's perspectives. There. How's that? Everybody's biased. Wow. That was... Yes. Okay. Well, let me talk about something that came out this week. Um, it's been coming out for some time. The American consumer, the largest force in the American economy. Now, a lot of people... And historically, at least in my experience, have complained that we ought to be more dependent on exports. We ought to have more exports. As a matter of fact, President Trump was very upset the fact that we import more than we export. The the issue with that is if if well, your country side note, so is Biden. It's very very definitely on a we need to be exporting oh, okay. more than so I they're just, both together. You can put I Trump and I haven't heard him say that, but that's yeah. okay. The issue is if your economy is largely driven by exports, then you are at the mercy of your customer. This which is, is China is finding out now. And Germany, yeah. And Germany is finding out. The In the United States, most of our economic growth is driven by us. We are our own customers, which is really cool. And that, in my opinion, is a good thing. Matter of fact, it's a good enough thing that the Chinese are trying really, really hard to get their consumers to spend more money, which they're being finding to be very, very difficult because the uh, actions of the government are so arbitrary that the, that the consumers feel insecure, so they're not spending money, which is one of their economic issues right now. But here in the United States, there's an interesting phenomenon going on that the Federal Reserve probably doesn't like too much. And that is a lot of the money that we saved up during the pandemic. And I know we could easily get into stimulus here. The stimulus money is largely spent. It's gone. What happened was when we were staying home and not wanting to go out and catch COVID, we didn't spend a lot of money on services. And so savings accounts got really big in the United States. 
And then we started spending the money and there's what's called excess savings. In other words, when you look at the percentage of uh, available income and you see what percentage, you look at the, the available income the average family has, you look at how much they have in cash positions and money market funds, banks, and so on. We have an unusually large amount. Well, part of that is because we're insecure because we just went through COVID, but we're getting over that insecurity very quickly and we're spending that money. So there's a burn rate on that excess money that's held in families' accounts. And by now, the predictions, if you were following the predictions from last year, we should be getting to the end of the excess funds, but we haven't. We haven't come close to getting to the end of that excess savings. And the reason is most of that money, when it is spent, doesn't disappear. This is kind of a revelation to a lot of economists. Um, it doesn't disappear. In other words, if I go out and buy a house with cash, I have just disappeared the money. It's gone until I sell the house. So that that's good. Houses, houses that don't have big mortgages on them are heat sinks, uh, money sinks. But because of the low interest rates that occurred up till this year and, and part of last year, people were not sinking their money into things. And, and, and like I said earlier, we paid a big down payment for uh, on an RV because we'd saved up money for a long time and we'd sold a trailer, another RV. That money disappeared. Until I sell the RV, that money is gone. It's it's no longer in circulation. It's 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 no longer creating inflation. But I also got a loan. Why did I get a loan in addition? Well, because interest rates were so darn low. When I bought a car, uh, I got the biggest loan I could get for the longest period of time I could get because it was so astonishingly low priced. That has caused an interesting secondary effect in the economy. The excess savings to some degree is moving around, but it isn't disappearing. So as people spend money at small businesses, for example, and the small businesses continue to save money, they continue to be profitable. A lot of that money that people are spending is going into the savings account of the small business. So what we're seeing is an extended period of time when Americans have more money than they normally do and are spending it more readily than they normally spend it, which is really good for the economy, but the Fed doesn't like it very much because we're spending too much money. The nice thing about it is interest, not interest rates, but uh, inflation rates are still coming down very nicely. Why are inflation rates coming down very nicely? Well, largely because the supply chain is no longer screwed up. We have plenty, in most cases, we have plenty of goods on the shelves to buy, and we're seeing what I think is the end of inflation at this point. Tesla just dropped the price on their cars quite a lot, as much as $10,000 per vehicle. You're uh, seeing a lot Ford, of electronics coming down in price drastically. Ford just dropped the price of their Lightning pickup. Well, probably because people who got the pickups are, are bad-mouthing them right now because they can't haul anything. But, I mean, you, but you still have a pickup. I mean, it won't go very far on a charge with a load of stuff in it, but it's still a pickup and it's electric, so it's cool. Um, and if you go to stores, you're seeing prices actually starting to decline rather than rocket upward. There is probably going to be an exception to that. Uh, Russia's uh, this decision to stop the grain trade in the Black Sea will have an effect on food prices at some point. Absolutely. Probably uh, because both the meat is fed grain and when the price of grain goes up, everything goes up. But that, I don't know how long that will last, but it'll be interesting. But across the board, otherwise, we are seeing the prices of goods fall because the demand is shift to services and the, the demand on services has leveled off. It's no longer rising very quickly. So I think we're out of the inflation woods and we're going to come out of the inflation woods with still more money in our savings accounts than we had when we went into the 
the pandemic. What does that mean? That means probably a very healthy growth in the economy that will go on for some time. And, and the question that, that you had from Marty, and I think it was an interesting one, when it will interest rates cause, the rising interest rates cause a crash in real estate? And the answer is rising interest rates don't cause real estate crashes. Right. Lower interest rates often do. Because people Having, buy with cheap money until they run out of cheap money and the builders keep building and they do it after yeah. other people ran out of the cheap money. When you have more houses than people want to buy, the price of real estate drops precipitously. Why does it drop so suddenly? Because Jake put it, builders by definition build. That's why they're um, called builders. Other people who do things, uh, a person who makes wrenches is not called wretched. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But builders are called builders for a reason. That's all they know how to do is build. And as long as they can get loans from the bank, they will keep building whether or not they have customers. And so you wind up with a classic supply and demand surge and collapse that goes into the building industry. And it has been going on forever and probably will go on forever. We don't have enough houses to supply to the people who want to buy houses. And until we do, the real estate market will not collapse. Uh, and that's just the reality. Uh, we've taken low interest rates that we had earlier, have taken a lot of houses off the market because people would rather rent the house out than sell it because they have a low they have a low payment on the house. So all the things that we used to think caused recessions are just about all of them are not causing recessions. We're in a brave new world for a short period of time and then we'll eventually get back to the old one. But that's that's my ranting. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the grain issue, and we're going to need to play some commercials momentarily. Uh, the Russian moving out of the grain shipping deal is going to have uh, an inflationary push on food. Food prices will go up. However, but go ahead. A couple of South American governments have announced, by the way, that they're lowering the prices of corn. Yes. So one of the things that's going on there, Brazil is now a massive exporter of corn. Uh, in the last two decades, uh, they have increased the amount of shipping by a 30 plus times the amount of exports. Um there's another little factor here that's going to be a moderator to that inflation with the Russian and Ukrainian grain not getting out. And that is El Nino. Um, the big uh, meteorological associations have all come out with their predictions on the year from now to this point next year. Uh, and they're all expecting the, basically the grain basket, the bread basket of the United States to be much wetter than average we're right now we're in drought conditions through most of the breadbasket of the united states last year we were in a drought the year before that we were in a drought that's that and the russian invasion caused prices to just skyrocket they've moderated since then because the south american companies of countries have really picked up on the exports the united states has picked up on F exports even though there was a, a drought well it looks like the drought is going to moderate because El Nino brings wetter climate 
to this part of the United States that's going to be a moderator. Uh, when we look at across the board at the United States production levels, so before the invasion of Ukraine, we weren't producing anywhere near the amount of oil that we are. We weren't producing anywhere near the amount of grain that we are. We've really stepped up. The fact that the two areas that are the hardest hitting in China and in the European Union right now are being filled in by us is part of the reason why we're not in a recession. Our oil exports rose drastically over the last three years. Our grain exports have risen drastically. Our computer chip exports, yes, we're exporting computer chips, have <laughs> risen drastically. So there's a lot of things that look really good. Our footing since the pandemic has been very nimble in the United States. We've gotten together and done a lot of things that have helped to bring the supply chain into order. And a lot of people have stepped up into areas that have been hit worldwide. When there's profit available, we tend to get it as any way we can. Uh, and we have been. So this is all good news for the economy long-term. And we're about out of time. This is the Personal Wealth Coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The personal wealth coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is in no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing? Because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is, and it's less disclosurable. It takes less time to do if it's just the same name. So we've been doing this program here uh, on this in, on this station, fourteen hundred AM in Temple, since nineteen ninety six, we've been doing this a long time, and we haven't been paid for it ever. Uh, we also Man. have not ever paid for it, so we've been doing this a long, long time. And the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, uh, on the channel for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think right. uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve 
That's generally and portfolio for, management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach. <laughs>